0: I cannot wait to see you. When Valerie De La Garza was approached about becoming the CEO of Fenton Communications, the job wasn't even on her radar. It should have been. Valerie's experience on campaigns around everything from the census to voting Combined with her years working with major consumer brands and her lived experience as a working class kid growing up in Southeast LA made her the ideal candidate to run the largest public interest communications firm in the country. Valerie, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you.
0: I've heard you talk about how growing up in Southgate, a working class Latino community in LA, just that early experience really shaped your commitment to social impact. What was it about that experience growing up in Southgate that had you thinking as a young person about social injustice?
1: I don't think I really understood truly what my situation was, my standing, my socioeconomic impact in my life until I went to college, being the first one to go to college, which many of us are. And then you realize, oh, wow, how behind I was from an educational standpoint and how unfair that was, that the zip code was a huge determinant, a social determinant, on my life. And honestly, it made me sad. It made me angry. It made me appreciate that, wow, I'm here now. For me, that was really the crystallization of wanting to really figure out a way to be involved in social good and social impact.
0: In the 90s, when you're doing Latino PR, it is still a pretty niche industry. It's at least treated as a niche industry. Do you have a story or a memory from that time that if it happened today, would be absolutely ridiculous.
1: I do. Um, I have a couple. I would be called Maria by clients, by other peers that were in what we would consider mainstream community relations and public relations. Now, I will tell you Maria, of course, is what was my grandmother's name. And there are many Marias in our Latina and Latino community.
0: Yeah, just the problem is you weren't one of them. (laughs) Right.
1: And this didn't happen just once this happened to me multiple times. I
0: believe this line is from your bios, which is, it's something along the lines of, today, Latino communications is the expectation, not the exception. And I wonder if you really believe that's so, and if it is so, why so many people are still so terrible at it?
1: Yeah, I think that there used to be in the 90s when you saw the explosion of ethnic and public relations and communications and advertising. It was seen as, well, we need to do it in this box. We need to do it in a division. And now I think that there is a recognition when we say, quote, the mainstream communications, well, all you have to do is look at the numbers and numbers translate to sales. Let's just be honest. And so I think that what we've seen in the industry is a reflection of what we've seen in the world now there might be an expectation, but back to your point on it not being done well, because it has to still be done by people who have lived in experience, by people who come from those stories, Southgate, <laughs> East L.A., whether that's Chicago, you know, wherever across the country. And frankly, there is can be complacency in the industry and throwing their hands up. And I see this in corporations that also say, we need more people of color on boards. Oh, we can't find quote them. We're here, we have to be more intentional and look harder to widen the pool to get people with these lived in experiences. And in fact, we will do a great job of engaging our ethnic communities.
0: The bulk of your experience is in nonprofit and social impact work, but you've also done brand side work and consumer side work. And I wonder what the lessons were you took from brand and consumer work that you've then been able to take and apply to your work doing social impact.
1: When you work on the brand side, you actually have more resources. And you see how things are done (laughs) when there are dollars that are set aside for focus group qualitative and quantitative group testing. There is so much on the line when you're working with a company that has to move the needle on sales. I worked on clients like Nestle, I worked on Kellogg's, and they were so sophisticated in using those tools and bringing that discipline into the nonprofit area where certainly those dollars are not available which is a shame, which is wrong, they still have to move the needle. But that needle is about, many times, saving lives. That needle is about housing. That's about feeding people. But they do not have those resources. But certainly, we can have an intentionality and we can learn. How do we apply that same discipline and rigor, even if we don't have those resources? Or will help slow down a nonprofit and say, listen, I know you want to jump in and do x strategy right away but let's do some research we're going to spend a little bit more money at the outset but it's going to be worth our while to be more on target and help us with research that's going to actually yield us results in the end
0: when my babies were going through their exploration stage i had so much to worry about falling over bumping heads what did she just put in her mouth the list was endless but when they were in pamper swaddlers i knew i never had to worry about a leaky diaper Swathers are great for both baby and mommy to keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swathers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swathers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes, from newborn to size 8, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the elephant and Freddy the duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club.
2: Hi Latina to Latina listeners, it's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast, and if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the LA area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30pm. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com
0: when you talk about part of your value being the fact that you did grow up in Southgate and you did grow up with a single mom and you know that lived experience, does a time come to mind when someone was pitching an idea to you or like, this is how we're going to reach the Latinos or this is how we're going to reach working class people where it sort of like required you to summon little Valerie of Southgate to be like, mm-mm, that's not going to work.
1: Oh, many times, but not just now, throughout my 30 years, many, many times. And I'll tell you, they typically comes from good intention, good intention of saying, oh, we want to reach this market <laughs> or community but the wrong way of going about it from a perspective of dollars and cents and not about true engagement. And there's also, I think more than anything, and this is something we're still battling. We're not all the same. I happen to be an 11th generation Latina. My family goes back 11 generations in Texas. So people will say, oh, what part of Mexico are you from? And I say, Texas you know, it's amazing to me, but we're not all the same. And I think there tends to be back to the little Valerie when I would get mad. It's when it's like, oh, we're all the same. We're quote Hispanic. And when that diversity is not recognized, that's when you get, I put my eyebrow up and say, this is not legitimate. It's not authentic and it will not work and I will not be a part of it.
0: Does any specific pitch come to mind?
1: I think I would get in trouble. You don't have to
0: tell me who it was.
1: Just just like, Oh, well, I will tell you, I worked on a campaign where it was a Latin food brand. They they produced chili and other things, and they had a long heritage, and the number one consumers were Latinas. And I found the ideas of the company so stereotypical and off the mark. And back to when we talked about doing research and so forth, I was like, who... Did you lean in because this is a different market for you? This is going to come off badly. You know, man with a big mustache comes out in a white suit, the big hat, and it's just awful. And so you have some clients who are willing to listen and some clients who are not. At that time, there was a middle ground that was reached, but it's hard when you're the only one. See, This is, again, why it's important to have people at the table, because then you're the one, oh, it's just you, and then you're not so valid, right? But when you're like, well, actually, no, like, let me explain to you why that it can be potentially offensive. You're walking into a situation where it either offends or it falls flat, and then you don't want to invest in the market anymore. But if you actually engage authentically, then guess what? You will, in connect with the consumer, then you will make more money, That's what you want to do. You won't sell more. But in that case, I was shocked at the imagery. I felt like we were in the 1950s.
0: And really, you were in the early aughts. Valerie, here's my big question. What were you doing? How were you positioning yourself so that you were someone that was being thought of as a person with CEO potential? Because you can say it's the work, but like we're Latinas, we do the work, right? Like that part we've got. Beyond that, what were the strategic relationships? What was the personal branding? What was the positioning that allowed you to step in when that opportunity presented itself?
1: I think for me in this moment, it was not a job that I actually had on the table for myself. And that's very telling, by the way, because we don't see ourselves in that position. We don't see, you know, it's less than 7% in my industry. It's 7% for people of color. So it's like, I think it's 4% for women, people of color, and who knows what it is for Latinas. You know, when I look back to sort of what brought me to that moment, I think that was the diversity of the experiences that I just mentioned. I think that it was an authenticity to the work that I just have been talking about. For us at Fenton, we really need to mirror the experiences of the communities that our clients serve. And so I can talk about that in a way that not everyone can talk about that. That little girl that you talked about growing up in Southgate and that family is the same person that many of our clients are trying to impact today. And so I think that that was extremely attractive and I think that, you know, it's not just doing the work, it's doing good work, and it's being empathetic and kind. To me, those are things, especially as women, we've been told all our lives are soft, are told all our lives we need to be strong and hard. And there's nothing, you can still be a badass. Being a badass is about saying, what is your experience? How can I make that better? How can I relate to you? And I think that for me, I see no other way. And I think that that's a departure in what we're seeing in companies from male to female. It just so happens that I also bring the experience of growing up low income, of growing up with a single mom and seeing that not as a deficit, but seeing it as an asset and something that is a new insight that perhaps others may
2: not be able to really understand.
0: to that lived experience, the work experience. And you have what I would describe as a real web of skills, right? So strategy, writing, team building, marketing, media relations, community outreach, public affairs. I would argue the highest value players are people like you who have an intricate set of skills. I think one of the challenges then is how you communicate and sell those skills in an interview, right? How you make it clear how those skills work together to create a cohesive vision of what a leader is.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the value that you can bring to the table is a Swiss Army knife versus just saying, "Okay, I can do just one thing." Shows agility, and I think in the end that if the combination of producing excellent work, being agile, and showing that you can shift, because let's be honest. Any role, and talking about communications and in, in your field too, you've got to be a Swiss army knife. And I think that coming from backgrounds where you've had to be agile anyway, <laughs> you know, in dealing with difficult circumstances, that can roll up into who you are professionally. You should be able to move back and forth because that's going to make you more marketable. And for me, I've always been interested in what haven't I done yet? It's a confluence of those skills and what you learn and all those just different ways that you bring and make you attractive for someone to call you up one day, which is what happened to me and said, listen, I know you're running half of our agency. Would you be interested in this? I'd love you to do this. And it was really more about me saying, okay, let me bring out the Swiss army knife. You know, I've not done that, but I have all these skills. Now I can bring them together.
0: I don't want to gloss over this point, which is this was not on your radar someone else saw it in you. When you get the call saying, would you think about this? Did you do the thing I hope you did not do where you said, yes, me, hands up? Or did you play a little coy and say, I'm going to need a minute to think about it?
1: Yeah, I actually did not say yes. I said, I will do this in the interim. And I had a plan. And my plan was, and we should all talk about mentors. I had so many women and men, but women in particular about, you know, this is not something I've done. And just because it's given to me. And so many times I tell people, and I think as women and particularly as people of color, we think this is my shot. And if I don't say yes, I'm going to lose my shot. And I tell people this, and I recently said this to someone the other day. You have to decide what your shot is. Just because someone calls you. You may not be set up for success. You have to decide if that is your shot. And by the way, A, you deserve getting the phone call, but maybe it's not for you. Maybe it won't make you happy. Maybe it won't give you the opportunity to thrive in the way that you want to thrive. So for me, I said, I did some consulting with a friend, one friend who'd been a CEO twice, a woman of color. And she said, listen, I think it's a great opportunity, but it's a lot of responsibility. But more importantly, can you have the ability to do the things that you will want to do? What's your discretion? What does that really look like in terms of responsibility? And how does that fit into your life of what you want to do with the vision for the firm? And so she said, do a hundred days. If you can sort of try it before you buy it on both ends, if you have that opportunity, do take that because then you can see what it really is like your owner, and you. And you will be in a situation where you'll say, this is good, or I need to make these adjustments or peace out. And our owner, James Marcus, agreed to it. And it was the best decision I ever made. And I couldn't be more honored and humbled to be in the role now two years later. Valerie, what did I miss? The only thing I want to say is that I tend to see in many of my staff members, especially women of color, We suffer from imposter syndrome and I just want to say to ignore if you can or talk back to that voice when it tells you you cannot. There's a difference between saying, you know what, this is what I want to do. It's not that I cannot do it. I make those choices and to not let that creep into your psyche and take over because we need to be honest with ourselves and know that you have people around you who want you to succeed.
0: Valerie, thank you so much for doing this.
1: Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Paulina Velasco is our producer. Coach and is our lead producer. Trent Lightburn mixed this episode. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram or tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise at latinatolatina.com slash shop. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you're listening right now. Every time you share the podcast, every time you leave a review, you help us to grow as a community.